So listen, uh, you know, um, I've been, we've been actually teaching. I've been teaching on the Ten Commandments, so we're deviating from that. And I want to focus on, because we, you know, focus on the 4th of July. And I have a great text from the Apostle Paul tonight. I want to preach about freedom. And uh, share just a little homily today tonight. So, um, uh, uh, so we'll come back to the, to the Ten Commandments next week. Uh, Alan's going to be sharing with us a little bit, because I'm going to actually be away next week. And so um, to be actually going to hiking in Utah, which I'd love to do with my kids. So we look forward to that. So um, I want to share with you all, um, I, I was, we were at a, um, uh, our mentor mentee program the other night when we had a chance to be able to, some of our kids actually graduated. We had sponsored through the whole program. They did a fantastic job. And so um, one of our volunteers got up and shared and each, each of our mentors had a chance to share a little bit about their mentee. And one of them shared this list of things that, now, does anybody remember this guy? And let me show you the picture of, um, do you remember Andy Rooney? Okay, so Andy Rooney I was just had that great way of spinning things and he was a really great writer and, and so he wrote, you know, wrote for 60 minutes and he always had something very interesting to say. So she had this list and it, this is from Andy Rooney and it was called I've Learned. And so I thought it was really good. So I'm going to, and I knew I could weave it into a message this, uh, at some point. So let me just share a couple of thoughts from Andy Rooney tonight. He said, this is what he's learned. He says, I've learned that the best classroom in the world is at the feet of an elderly person. I learned that when you're in love, it shows. I learned that just one person saying to me, you've made my day, makes my day. I learned that having a child fall asleep in your arms is one of the most peaceful feelings in the world. I learned that being kind is more important than being right. I've learned that you should never say no to a gift from a child. I've learned that I can always pray for someone when I don't have the strength to help them in some other way. I've learned that no, other, that no matter how serious your life requires you to be, everyone needs a friend to act goofy with. I learned that sometimes all a person needs is a hand to hold and a heart to understand. I learned that the simple walks with my father around the block on a summer's night when I was a child did wonders for me as an adult. I learned that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer it gets to the end, the faster it goes. I learned that we should be glad God doesn't give us everything we ask for. I've learned that money doesn't buy class. I learned that it's, it's those small daily happenings that makes life spectacular. I've learned that under everyone's hard shell is someone who wants to be appreciated and loved. I learned that the Lord didn't do it all in one day, what makes me think I can. I've learned that to ignore the facts does not change the facts. I've learned when you plan to get even with someone, you are only letting that person continue to hurt you. I learned that love, not time, heals all wounds. I've learned that the easiest way for me to grow as a person is to surround myself with people smarter than I am. I've learned that everyone who meets and des meets deserves to be greeted with a smile. I've learned that there's nothing sweeter than sleeping with your babies, with your babies feeling their breath on your cheeks. I've learned that no one is perfect until you fall in love with them. I've learned that life is tough, but I'm tougher. I've learned that opportunities are never lost. Someone will take the ones you miss. I've learned that when you harbor bitterness, happiness will, will dox elsewhere. I've learned that I wish I could have told my dad that I loved him one more time before he died. I learned that one should keep his words both soft and tender because tomorrow you may have to eat them. I learned that the less time I have to work with, the more things I get done. Andy Rooney. And so this last week, this actually motivated me to write down the things that I've learned 
And maybe you can use this, maybe this weekend, because I always challenge you to do things. What have you learned about being an American? So I, I wrote down my little list. So this is Harold's, uh, my Her Harold's Andy Rooney list of what I've learned about being American. I've learned that during the 911 calamity, there, there can be unity. I've learned our national parks are God's marvelous handiwork. I've learned that from an early age that people died so that I can be free. I learned there are people who actually believe in our own national motto and God we trust. I learned freedom is, a be is as beautiful as America's spacious skies, amber waves of grain, and purple mountains majesty. I I've learned at our core we are a strong and resilient nation that doesn't give up. I learned that many take freedom for granted. I learned people from all over the world want to come here because here is better than there there. I learned that prayer was removed from our public schools and replaced with daily announcements. I've learned that I like singing along with Bruce Springsteen born in the USA. I learned that hot dogs taste better on July 4th and the grass is always greeter in baseball parks on that day. I learned that grown men cry on the Olympic podium as the American flag is being raised. I learned that my vote counts. I learned that Abe Lincoln saw slavery as bad and freedom as good, and it was as simple as black and white, not black or white. I learned that the American flag waving in the manicured yard on a Cape Cod means exactly the same thing as the flag hanging from a double-wide trailer in the Appalachian Mountains. I learned equality is far greater than superiority. I learned that John F. Kennedy actually meant as... Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I learned that Martin Luther King Jr. had a passion for his dream. I learned that our founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence not only had a vision, but they had guts. And finally, I learned that I'm proud to be an American because America is the land of the free. So what have you learned? So today, you know, I, I, I came up with this, actually I found this definition of what freedom means. So here's the definition I found, Webster's debt freedom, the power of right or right to act, speak or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint, freedom. Then I asked myself this question because I just gave you Andy Rooney's version of, well, the idea of what I've learned and then I just shared with you all what I've learned about freedom. So then I asked myself this last week about what was Paul's version of what freedom meant and, uh, to him? And so we find this great text from the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, the 18th verse and following. And so this is what, it, the title of this is called, What is True Freedom? This is from the Apostle Paul. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean that we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you started listening to a new master whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
So let me just teach for a, a moment on that text. So this comes from Paul, right? And so Paul, um, he was converted around 33 AD. And um, so he spent, actually, he wasn't actually killed to around 68 uh, AD. So about 35 years he spent in ministry. And so we know Paul from, you know, well, he was a Pharisee. He was trying to make a, well, a name for himself. And so what did Paul do? He started rounding up the Christians. And he was one of the ones who was leading the whole escapade to be able to actually snuff out the Christians because they were going against the law. They were going against the Orthodox Jewish tradition. So he was persecuting them. He was killing them. Until one day, um, he was on the road to Damascus and he has, well, Jesus has a come to Jesus talk with Saul. And he says these words to Saul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm the one you're persecuting. And so he was actually knocked down, blinded by the light. So he ends up in Damascus on a road called Straight. And so Jesus has this conversation through um, the Holy Spirit uh, to Ananias. And Ananias, he tells Ananias to go and he tells him exactly where to find Saul. And he tells him exactly what to do. Now, Ananias does not want to have anything to do with Saul because he knows his reputation. He knows that Saul's been out and killing the Christians. So he gets a little bit, well, I'm short with Christ and having this conversation. And I like the way the uh, one Bible version says, but the master, referring to Jesus, says, don't argue. Go, I have picked him as my personal representative to, to the non-Jewish and the kings and to the Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes along along with the job. And boy, howdy, did Saul or Paul become very familiar with what it meant to be the hard suffering that goes along with the job. Now, what we know, and Paul gave us a little bit about what he went through and about a little bit about his own pain and suffering. This is Paul's version of what some of what he went through. This is how he interprets his Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open seas. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from my fellow Jews. I've been in danger from the Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. I have been labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and I have known thirst and have have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. Paul, this is suffering. And so in the midst of this, I, as I learned this last week, um, Paul had a really good understanding, not only about suffering, but Paul understood what it felt like to be in prison. We know that he went to prison at least three times. As I was reading this last week, about um, about him, his idea of freedom and being in captivity and uh, you know and being in prison. Um, there, the joke was when he would go into a brand new town and began to pre, or he would walk into the town. He would ask first where the synagogue was because he was going to go there and teach and preach. And he also the second question was where's the prison because he knew he was going to end up there. Saul, A.K.A. Paul. And so once again, we know for a fact in the Bible. And he probably was arrested more than we have uh, actual authenticated, authenticated in the Bible. But we know he's arrested at least three times. We know he was arrested at one point because he had actually healed a, a servant girl, a slave girl, who was a fortune teller. And 
she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. So the people who owned her were really angry because all of a sudden they took part of their lively way away and they actually had Saul put in prison. We also know that he was actually a temple and some of, the, some of the Jews from the Asian part of the world came to and were, began to stir up the crowd because they, they didn't like Paul. And so all of a sudden the riot broke out. And guess who gets thrown in prison? Paul. And then we also know later in his life, around 66 AD, that he was also in prison. And he actually was about to go on trial. But he, before he went on trial, he was at Caesarea Maritime. And matter of fact, I got a picture of Caesarea Maritime. This is what it would have looked like 2,000 years ago. And of course, this is where Paul would have actually been in prison. Actually, and this is one of Herod's palaces. Herod had a lot of palaces. And so this is what I would call Club Med for Herod. It's right in the Mediterranean Sea. And so you see that big temple there, Temple Augustus. And then the other side of that is Herod's palace. And it was just an unbelievable city. And then go to the next slide. And so this is what it looks like today. And so it's one of my favorite places to go visit the Holy Land. I love going there. But this is what's left at Herod's palace. But tradition says that actually Saul was actually in prison at Herod's palace. He would have been put some kind of, probably in some kind of cistern there before he was set sail to go visit and to be able to actually, because he was a Roman citizen, he was going to stand trial before Caesar. And his whole vision was to stand before Caesar because he wanted to tell Caesar about Jesus Christ. Wow. So after those 35 years, we know for a fact that probably Saul a.k.a. Paul, was probably in prison for about five and a half years. And so he wrote from prison. So he knows what freedom feels like, and he also knows what it feels like to be, well, a slave or to be in prison. And so what's very powerful, when you look at Paul's life, we find his great theology, how he's, how he's written down in his, in his epistles in the New Testament, and what we learn and so he really has a very, so his, his theology is shaped out of his life and his understanding of how Christ continues to reveal to him throughout his life and his teachings. And he wrote those down in the letters. And so it's a very powerful image because what does Paul, Paul draw from? Well, he's got his ancient tradition and then he has what his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what does the ancient tradition tell us? Guess what? He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. And so out of the ancient tradition of Judaism, what do we find in the Old Testament? The children of Israel being led out of what? Bondage. And so we have, when we think about this text tonight, we have this very powerful image because Paul understood, he understood the Old Testament teachings of, and, and out, of the, out of the Old Testament, we have this, this image of the children of Israel being led out of bondage, a physical bondage. They've been held in oppression. And so he understands that, but he also understands this whole new way of understanding being led out of bondage, and he calls it being led out of the bondage of sin. And so for Paul in this teaching tonight, there are two ways to be able to think about slavery. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness. It was simple as that. And so what, when we find from the Old Testament, we find him being the children of Israel literally physically being let out of bondage and be able to not have to be hold, held to a slave master any longer. They're finally set free. Who set them free? Yahweh, God. And so the beautiful image from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we have this beautiful image because when we, look at, when we look at Jesus Christ, we are looking at you, Yahweh. We're looking at God in the flesh. Give me a minute on that. And so we, when we look, when Paul trans, transmits this image from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and we think about the New Testament about being set free. Jesus, so Jesus has come to be able to set people free from their sin and their own oppression. 
And so the, the image what Paul draws upon, he says that you can be a sin, you can be a slave to sin, or you can be a slave to righteousness. So what does righteousness mean for Paul? This is what it means. You ready? This is really important. For Paul, righteousness means ultimately it has everything. Now, righteousness, when we typically think about, usually we think about living a life, a righteous life has everything to do with living a virtuous life, living a life of virtue, or being moral people. Not for Paul. Now, that's important. But Paul, for righteousness, everything goes down to this. You ready? Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. Righteousness ultimately means for Paul in this text and being literally set free, it means everything, everything comes down to Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. And if we get that right, then we get the rest of everything else light in our life. So he says, listen, you can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to a brand new master and his name is Jesus Christ. What's it gonna be? And if you wanna really understand living a life of goodness and holiness, of, of love, then you ultimately, it all comes down to the, the word righteous has everything to do with understanding and grasping Jesus is Christ's death is the resurrection. And at a resurrection, we find a very important word and it's called sanctification. And sanctification ultimately means that we live out this truth that we really understand and we comprehend the idea of truly being set free, not from the bondage of physical bondage that we find in Old Testament, but truly being set free from the sin of oppression of sin that holds a grip on us. And so we find this very powerful image that Jesus has come, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, fully human, fully divine. Yahweh, the who is, as I shared with you on the Ten Commandments, he's the sustainer of life. He's the author of life. He's the one that's bringing existence in our lives. And he is the one who truly can set us free. Can amen on that? This is the truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what's very powerful is that we have this, this great, out of, out of this, this idea of righteousness and understanding who Jesus is and his death and resurrection comes this wonderful thought, this uh, wonderful part of our theology we call it sanctification is living into that in each and every day, how we live out hope and love and treating each other with respect and dignity. But we got to get this right. It has everything to do with our belief in Jesus' death and the resurrection. That's what righteousness means for Paul. And sanctification, which is interesting, the word, the ending word for the, uh, in the Greek, uh, the ending has everything to do with the process. So sanctification has to do with you and me and our process, the journey that we have and, and bonding with Jesus Christ and living in the truth of his freedom and that he has come to set us free from the sin of oppression. And ultimately, we live that out each and every day. That's what sanctification means. And little translation in the Greek, the last part of the word, the Greek word, means a process that we're all on until the day that we die, until we breathe our last breath. That's what Paul meant when he talks about righteousness and sanctification. And the other word that comes out of this whole text has to do with transformation. And what does transformation mean? That means ultimately, I've got this great quote I thought was really powerful. And has everything to do with this. He says, transformation, God accepts us where we are, but God does not intend to leave us where we are. Let me say that again. Transformation means God accepts us where we are, but God does not intend to leave us where we are. 
And the good news about has everything, the transformation has to do with this God's amazing grace that he's poured out for all of us. That's the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this idea, but this great quote about righteousness. Just the Jewish people discovered in the Exodus story of the character of their rescuing God. So the covenant faithfulness of the same God has been fully unveiled in the Paschal events of the Golgotha and Easter. Learning about the Christian life and learning about the God revealed in Jesus Christ are two sides of the same coin. So I love this, the idea that we are called to be righteous people. We're called to be holy people, but righteous has everything to do with getting this right, that we really truly believe with all our heart, soul, and mind that Jesus really actually died and he was raised from the dead. This is the truth, the good news, the Jesus Christ that we find in Easter and the Holy Week. And out of that, we live out the sanctification journey that we have, that ultimately we love each other and care for each other. And out of that, we have this great thing about the idea of transformation, that God has actually transformed our lives. And we do that through God's amazing grace. And the last part of this, I think it's really powerful. In my commentary this last week, I was reading a little bit about Bar uh, uh, William Barclay. And he talked about this particular text. He says that Paul says... Once you gave yourself to sin at its slave, when you did that, righteousness had no claim over you. But now you have been given yourself to God as a slave to righteousness, and sin has no claim on you. And it's very interesting that Paul, out of all the ways that Paul refers to this about the idea of payment, he, refer, he actually, re, actually refers to two military words in this idea about me and a payment. And the way that soldiers were paid back in 2,000 years ago, if you're a Roman soldier, you would be paid, be able to be a soldier. And what would the soldier do? They would risk their life to be able to, uh, to, be able to defend the emperor or whatever. They were a soldier, so you got a paycheck. And so that was something... It, you earned and the word there has to do with the word pay and you pay you're paid because you earned something so when you, Paul talks about sin's pay is death but God gives us a free gift and the word in Greek gift has the word for the word charisma and the word charisma means you can't earn it it's been given to you as a gift. And where did that come from? In the ancient days when the emperor would actually do this for his soldiers. If the emperor actually believed that their soldiers were doing it really good, he would give them a bonus. If they, maybe it was their birthday, he'd give them a bonus. If they did something extraordinary, he would give them a bonus. It was something additional, but it was always considered a gift. They didn't earn it. So Paul draws upon this great imagery that we can't earn God's grace. We can't earn God's love. But it's a free gift that we find in this journey. And that Jesus Christ has come to be able to ultimately set us free. Can amen on that? And when we look at Jesus Christ, we are looking at Yahweh, the one who has sustained us, who is the source of life, who's the creator of life, who's the one who's given us the breath of life. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ has called and you can't follow two masters is what Paul says. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to ultimately to righteousness. And righteousness has everything to do with Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. And it all begins and it all ends there. And we live out our life through our sanctifying, sanctification journey. And that Christ transforms our lives through his amazing grace. And guess what guys? You cannot earn that. Jesus Christ 
pay the ransom, paid for all of us for that we can be redeemed by his amazing love. And that is called the gift of God's amazing grace. And God's amazing grace truly sets us free. It sets us apart of other people. Through his love, through his mercy, we have hope and we have freedom. So this is what I've learned tonight. I've learned a life with, with Christ is a whole lot better than a life without him. I've learned freedom is a way better than slavery. And I learned to thank God every day that I live in a land of freedom. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for righteousness because we're thankful for you that you're willing to die and you're willing to be rose from the grave in order for us to be set free. So thank you, Lord, for that amazing gift that we can't earn. We don't deserve it, but we're honored that we're to be able to receive it tonight. We're grateful for this place of worship. We're grateful for our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, for our friends and our neighbors here. We're grateful, Lord, for all the blessings you continue to bestow upon us. But oh, dear Jesus, we are so thankful that you have come to set us free. Free from sin, but yet given us the gift of your righteousness. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen.